What up? This is Dart Adams. This is the eighth episode of Dart Against Humanity. In previous episodes, I've talked about everything from the music industry, uh, music production, videos, film, what have you. Uh, today, I want to talk about pretty much what a being a creative entails and what it means because today it's a buzzword that everybody uses just for everything. And I don't think they fully understand what that term means because in this day and age, nothing means anything anymore. And people just use words just to use them. And they have a variety of applications. Well, uh, if I go by my own experience, uh, something that a lot of people don't realize because they didn't live it themselves is when the what we call the blog era began, it was born out of a bunch of people that uh, came from an era where we became more and more used to using the internet. And it really kicked in right after about 2002 again, I think I mentioned this, when we started getting cable modems, uh, DSL. People in their offices were using T1 lines and also at colleges. But when you were able to have 24-7 access to the internet at home, that changed the whole game and the floodgates started opening. So this is these are the beginnings of um what we now refer to as social media and the opening of what would eventually become real-time social media which would change the face of everything and it's all post um telecom act of 1996 which paved the way for all these things to happen so at the beginning of that whole stage we had something called the um the dot-com bubble burst which pretty much went into effect somewhere around March 2000. So between 99 and 2000, there were all these things changing. Like when I was uh, working at box stores, which no longer exist, this is another thing that we lost. So when I was working at box stores and video stores and all these other places where I could always get a job, because the economy was up at the time. Uh, one of the things that like happened under uh, Bill Clinton being in office, and also he also signed the Telecom Act, which is like good, good side, bad side. And also, you know, there were a whole lot of things that he signed that really changed the, uh, the incarceration rate. So it was like, yeah, the economy is thriving, but later on, we're going to have to deal with this bullshit that you also did too, which kind of fucked up everything but the point I'm making is that if you were a person with certain skills and a certain background you could find work in certain fields so there was a time when I would work I could work at a superstar market this is actually what happened to me I was working at a superstar market I didn't want to work there anymore I go to Tower Records while I'm at Tower Records this woman asks me um, no, this woman asked the guy who was working at Tower Records, not me, uh, where a album was called Nearly God. He had no idea what she was talking about. This is before everybody would just instantly run to the computer and look everything up. This is when you would actually ask people questions and they were expected to know the answer. So this is 1998. This is summer 1998. And I said, oh, Nearly God, I know where that is. And I showed her 
And I told her that it was an album produced by Tricky and he had all these guest stars and everything else, but it's not under Tricky, it's under Nearly God. There's songs by uh, Bjork and Goldfrapp and all these other people on there. And um, I think Tricky was working on, or he had worked on, or he hadn't yet released um, Grass Grassroots, Tricky's Grassroots album. I think Nearly God predates Grassroots. But anyway, she's like, thank you. And like she asked me for some other recommendations and I gave them to her and she was like, thanks. I appreciate that. I don't work there at the time. I'm working at a superstar market. Matter of fact, I had come there from star market. And after I like, you know, I'm trying to steal a magazine because I wasn't going to buy it. And the guy comes up to me and he's like, hey, uh, a bunch of people that work here are leaving and also, there are a bunch of people that work here who are going back home because the school year is over. So there's going to be jobs open. So he just hands me an application. I'm like, oh, word? He said, yeah, you should apply. I was like, yeah, so where are the applications? He comes back and just hands me one. And I'm like, shit, word, because I hate working the superstar market. Hated it. Um... I was a book that I was going to write. I don't know if I'm ever going to write it. Uh, it was supposed to be called Night Work. And it was supposed to start at this time. But it was really supposed to cover a specific period. About, you know, my work experience is going to be like semi-autobiographical. I'll get into that later. It's, it's, a, it's a thing. But anyway, I start working at uh, Tower Records. I work here at Tower Records for what feels like two years. It was only like nine months. I leave Tower Records. I immediately uh, get a new job, so I'm working at I'm working at a uh, Hip Zeppi. I work at Hip Zeppi for a few months. Uh, things happen there. I end up uh, getting shifted to a uh, transfer to another store. That ends. I end up working in a movie theater. I leave the movie theater and I get a new job immediately, working at Newberry Comics. But it's a holiday hire. The thing was that if you worked out as a holiday hire, they were going to have you as a a regular uh, staffer. I find out I'm not going to be a regular staffer when they have their mini holiday party and they bring out a cake with the names of all the people who weren't going to be retained. And ultimately, it came down to the fact that I didn't attend the holiday party. I had other shit to do. So I was like, there's no way I'm hanging out with a whole bunch of hipsters at a fucking holiday party. There's no fucking way. And I'm going to a part of Massachusetts I can't walk home from. So... Ultimately, I leave there. I apply for another job around the corner. It's a place called CD Spins. I get that job. Now, I'm telling you about all these jobs that had back to back to back to back to back to back to back in succession. The economy was in a it was in was in such a such good shape then that I could quit a job or give my two weeks notice or I don't have to give my two weeks notice or give my two weeks notice. And you get paid every two weeks, let's say, right? So I get my last check from that place that I'm leaving after I've already applied somewhere else, right? Have that check last me for the first two weeks that I'm working at the new job, which I just got after leaving the last job. And no, I didn't leave this job after until I got another job. I left the job without having another job and I had only applied to places. And then that last check would last me before until I get my new check Because you have to wait two weeks when you first work somewhere before you finally get paid. That's how great the economy was. 
I was just jumping from job to job to job to job, all in walking distance of each other. Now, that died around the dot-com bubble burst era because, again, uh, not only did a whole lot of things in the tech industry fall, but also the box stores began to crumble, largely attributed to things like P2P sites, Napster, you know, all these other sites that, that came up around the same time, eDonkey, Nutella, what have you. You know, later on, you had sites like, um, what? Uh, LimeWire, all those other joints. So that changed everything. Now, during this era, independent stores and box stores and mom and pop stores are getting either getting bought out or they're just going under period because the internet is pretty much killing everything now what happens is a lot of us people that were used to working in creative spaces like record stores or video stores or box stores and having certain freedoms that we were allowed before everything started getting more and more corporate when the money started getting squeezed out. And this is another thing. Um, anybody, if you've ever been on YouTube and you've ever watched a gang of videos, I love doing this. There's a gang of videos, it's almost a genre unto itself. I think I mentioned this on Twitter uh, yes, last night, yesterday. I don't know. I don't sleep. About there's a genre on Twitter of why I quit um, working at GameStop. And everybody has similar stories as to why they quit working at GameStop and how corporate it is and how they try to upsell everything and how if they have a new a new um game, they would rather sell the 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 used game. Why? Because there's a higher markup. They get more profit from it. And the fact of the matter is the reason why they're doing this is because GameStop is doomed. GameStop's going to die. And every place, every box store, every video store, every record store I worked in, going into night from 1988, 1999, 2000 and on, when you couldn't work at a record store anymore because they didn't exist or a video store because they stopped existing, thanks to Netflix and Redbox later on that came up, is because corporate squeezes down more when the profits get lower and lower. Uh, I worked in a movie theater where they always pushed us to upsell, 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 upsell. And that was the concession stand because I was like, why do they fucking work? Dude, dude, why are they riding people into the concession stand so hard? And the reason is because that's where they make the money. That's where the profit lies. So I knew early on that I learned the entire thing, the, everything inside and out. And I was like, if I'm going to keep working at this movie theater, I need to make sure that I never have to work the concession stand anymore, which was hard for me because I was really good ringing people up the concession stand. I was super fast, but I was like, I need to get out of the concession stand. So what I did was I made sure that I got into the ticket booth and I made sure I stayed in the ticket booth. I, I broke records selling tickets by myself. I sold so many tickets so fast that they would just have one guy come in and just take the money. And that's a skill that I acquired from back when I worked at uh, Tower Records when I did Ticketmaster during big concerts. It would be me and, a, and another uh, supervisor, and that dude would just band money. 
because I would sell tickets so fast. So that was like one gift that I had when it came to working retail. And I love working retail because of the freedom it allowed me. And I didn't have that much responsibility. And the responsibility I did have, it was low stress for me. And I loved that. I was like, I get to be around music and film and magazines and literature. And I get to talk with people who love the same things that I do. And I get to learn from older cats to know all about this stuff. And I get to be introduced to new music. And I get to meet all these musicians and all these artists. I was like, that was a dream. And on top of it, I made money. The money was shit. But I didn't have a whole bunch of expenses. Even to this day, I don't. I'll get into that later. So when you're creative and you're able to thrive in this space and have these types of freedoms and not have to worry about bullshit, like corporate bullshit, then it's great. But when you have to deal with more corporate bullshit, then that's when suddenly the job stops being a job you enjoy. It starts being stressful and the cons outweigh the pros. And this happens with every job, especially going into this time where you start being exploited. And it stops being fun and it starts being more of a chore and it grates on you and there's more pressures on you whereas they weren't before and of course this happened right around the time the profit started sh- shrinking and it really deteriorated after a uh, holiday season Christmas 1998 going into 1999 because that's when it came back the numbers came back and they realized they were getting their ass kicked by Amazon.com for the first time and also you know the box stores as a whole were doing shit and the internet was killing us but the internet was killing us largely because the RIAA was being greedy and they were marking up prices and the quality of the music began to suffer and there was more filler on albums so people felt like the only thing to do was to uh, copy CDs because we sold more CDRs and CDRWs than actual CDs at a time when the record industry was explosive in 1998. We had Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, fucking Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, 98 Degrees, the Spice Girls were hot, Def Jam had blown up, the Hard Knock Life Tour was was opening up stadiums again for rap. Records were flying off the shelves. But not too shortly afterwards, profits were in the toilet. You know, because not everybody was like fucking the 18s were also hot back then bewitched was hot back then you think you think fucking s club seven remained hot for fucking five years no they did a whole bunch of tv shows on abc but they ain't remain hot if you think that the fucking the 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 blueprint for the music industry staying hot and selling records is putting out shit like eiffel 65 zion blue then you're out of your goddamn mind but back to uh, being creative in this time and this space. So what happened is a lot of the people that were finally getting squeezed out of these jobs, they weren't going to be able to work at uh, Twitter because it no longer existed. MTS Incorporated fucking went under, you know, when all of a sudden, like 
the Best Buy started to shrink and nobody's going to be able to work at Radio Shack because there are no more Radio Shacks or the strawberries, which originated in Boston. All of a sudden, there are almost no strawberries or HMV start shrinking or there was a, 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 a place called Other Music, I believe, that opened in Cambridge. And then that store was gone within six months because you opened a record store in 2000, 2001. What the fuck were you thinking? Uh, a bunch of record stores just started disappearing here, uh, mom and pop stores. I have a bunch of documentaries about it, but what happened is these people who were used to working in these creative spaces ended up having to do things that they hated like office jobs or temp work. Sure. It pays better, but it's fucking destroying you from the inside and crushing your soul. But here's the other side. I've had jobs where my soul was being crushed and I felt my creative energies were just being wasted. But you know what? I got paid. Like right now, I'm at my creative peak. Everybody wants to consult with me. People want to work with me. I know so much about the industry and and music and and what people respond to and i'm such a fucking wealth a wealth of knowledge but guess what the last time i had actual money hand over fist a fucking 401k health benefits health insurance a dental plan was when i was working at the place that was crushing my creative my creativity and that was CVS. And I was making some more money than I would have made if I went on salary. And taking a salary job and being a, a, a full-time supervisor or an assistant manager on the um, fast track to having your own store, I would have been making less money. It would have been a step down in what I was making before. So I was like, there's no way I'm going to do that job. And on top of that, the people I knew with that job, this is when people started fucking wearing suits and started doing the uh, the uh, meetings, you know, uh, what do you call it? The conference. So th- those were the people on the conference calls talking about the takes from the stores. And if you hit a certain number, then that's when your store got a bonus and you relied on the bonus because the people who worked there in the suits had families, they had wives and they had cars and they had fucking car notes and they had uh, insurance and they had daycare. You know, they had mortgages. And I saw nothing but that in my future. And I said, there's no fucking way. And I'm an early adopter. So most people get their uh, midlife crisis when they're 40. I got my midlife crisis at 30. I was turning 30. Right before I turned 30, July 2005, I said, yeah, I'm putting in my three months notice. I repeat, I'm putting in my three months notice. Do you know why I put in a three months notice? Because I did so much shit at that store that it was going to take them at least that amount of time to find somebody to replace me adequately. I couldn't do two weeks. And also, I wanted to use that time because I was going to do so much work in that time that I was going to make so much money. That I was going to pay off all of my debts. So before I was done at that store, I paid off all of my student loans. 
So I was like, I'm going into whatever I do next, whatever creative thing I do next with no debt. And I did that. I haven't had a job since October or a job job since October 2005. And guess what? I haven't been. What's a good word to use? Um, Financially, completely financially stable. Since October 2005. Why? Because I'm a creative. And when you're creative, you're work for hire. And you know what being work for hire means? You don't know what the fuck is going to happen next. You took your life into your own hands. I can quite literally die. Or go broke. In any moment, any stretch of three to six months. I can. Does it happen? No. Do I have a place to live? Yes. Am I living okay? Yeah. But check back in three months. Why is that? Because being work for hire and being a creative and working in a space where you don't have guaranteed payments coming in and a volatile market means that if something doesn't fall through, your ass out. Uh, what's the best way I could describe it? Okay, you, you ever play Tetris? So you're playing Tetris. You're getting line after line after line. You're filling up everything. But you're keeping that side open for that one thin piece that you spread over to the side and drop down and you get those four bars, right? But you're not getting that. You're not getting that long, the long piece. Uh, you're getting block. You're getting the T. You're getting everything over and over again, except the one line or the long joint that you could turn to turn straight up. Where you could turn um vertical, push all the way to the right, and then drop down to get Tetris. You're getting everything but that. Everything but it. And you're just looking at the next. Waiting for that piece to set you to set you up. So you finally clear this fucking board and you're finally doing okay and your score goes up. That's what it's like being a fucking creative in this space. You're just playing Tetris, waiting for that joint to drop, waiting for that joint to drop, waiting for it so you can push it to the side, turn it the right way. And sometimes that shit comes up and you fuck up and you put it the wrong way. And now you gotta fucking try to fix everything again. Because you don't know when you're going to get another long piece. You don't know. This whole thing could go to shit. Now, I do a lot of work. I do a lot of consultations. I do a lot of jobs. So, let's say you do eight jobs, right? You get paid for four of those jobs. But if those four jobs are the short money, the supplemental money, you're waiting for the big check. And sometimes the big check takes longer. But you're betting on the big check. Sometimes things fall through. So if you were lining up four big jobs thinking that one of the big jobs happens. So good, I got the other three jobs waiting. And on, the t- and on time, I got the supplemental money coming in. All the supplemental money comes in quick. That shit's gone. 
Now you're waiting on the big checks. And you're waiting on the big checks. And you're waiting on the big checks. And one of those big checks, you could be okay for a minute. But if you got four big checks or five big checks, but all the little shit comes in and it's gone. The little shit goes. Little shit goes, covers fucking uh, cable. No. Little shit covers food and groceries. Little shit covers this old bill. Insurance. You know what I'm saying? That's what the little checks go to. The big checks. That's going to ensure that you can pay rent for the next two months. That's what you're waiting on. And then the other check after that. That means that you could be okay for a minute. And when you start thinking like like that, what happens is you go into survival mode. So you don't want to spend a lot of money anymore. So now when you go shopping, rather than getting what you would normally get when you were okay, when even if you're eating healthy, you might be tempted to eat less healthier options because they're cheaper. But if you actually want to live long enough to enjoy your 40s or into them, you're like, I can't really compromise that because my quality of life drops and I'm kind of taking my life in my hands but if i spend too much money i'm putting myself near the fucking razor's edge as it is but if i eat this unhealthy cheap shit at the store i'm doing the same thing but i'm trying to save money conserve money until that fucking long tetris bar joint comes so i could push it off to the all the way to the right and down to the side and be good when's it coming That's what being a creative is like. And stress will kill your creativity. If you think being at a job that's boring and soul crushing kills your creativity. How about being creative when you're in a space where you can be as creative as you want, but you're still worried about money and it's still a press and you're still chasing people for your check or chasing people for a payment or hoping that it comes. What do you think that does to your creativity? This shit ain't fun. One of the things that when I started, God damn, I hate this word. When I started blogging or being in this space, uh, one of the things I wanted to make sure I did was not lie to people that entered it. Uh, there were a lot of motherfuckers out here who were tastemakers and, and influencers and thought leaders who kissed ass and kissed babies and shook hands and did all the things that were necessary in order to move up and become fucking um darlings in the media world who fucking lied to you they lied to you they made you think this shit was sweet and it isn't it's dirty and no one pays you and you're getting exploited at every fucking turn and everybody's stealing your intellectual property everywhere you look and you just gotta take it I don't fucking take it and that's why I'm where I am because I punch back I call people out on their bullshit 
I tell everyone when someone's lying. But you got to play the game. And a lot of people that did play the game and got on social media and pretended like they were having the time of their lives, hanging out with celebrities, taking pictures with celebrities. And they were at all these wonderful places, taking pictures in these nice hotels, which weren't for them. And they couldn't pay for out of their own pocket. They were sleeping on somebody else's couch. We all knew. And they were depressed because they were wondering when their fucking shit was going to come in. But they had to smile and be nice for the fucking camera. And they had to front when the fucking camera went on. And they had to run these articles that they got paid $50 each for. And that shit doesn't even pay for fucking lunch in New York. You know what I'm saying? And, And like these people brought in a whole wave of cats that wanted to be in the game. And then when they got in the game, they were like, oh, shit, it's like the Matrix. They turned your ass into a battery. And you look around and there's nothing but fucking batteries charged up to this big machine. And you are part of that machine. Now, I've never lied about this shit. I told everybody exactly what it was. And I'm going to do the same now. Even at my advanced age, and yes, this is advanced age. Most people who are my age and my age range have gotten the fuck out and done other things. I'm still hanging around until I fucking, I'm able to leave. And I won't lie about that. Why would I want to stick around someplace where I'm not really wanted? And there's no money here anyway. There's, there's no fucking money here. Especially, I've done, I've, I've exhausted all the avenues. All the places that were willing to pay somebody who really wanted to write either no longer exist or no longer care about that. You know, and every every so often there'll be somebody and they're like, hey, so we want to have you bring you on. And I always count down until when that shit goes left or when it's no longer an option. And I know that money that I'm getting now is not going to last later. So I don't stunt. I don't do things where I'm going to overexhaust myself financially. If I can't afford it comfortably, I don't fucking buy it. I don't use it. I don't even fucking kid myself. So if you've gone to my Instagram, you don't see pictures of me hanging out with famous people. Why? Um, you don't see me stunting with some new shit that I bought. You don't even see me taking pictures of the shit that I might possibly get for free because I know that that's something that misleads people. They're like, oh, I want to be this influencer or this person. And then they shout out the person who sent it to them. Like you got the shit for free because they know you're going to do that. And you're going to spread the product. You know what I'm saying like that? Like if people send me something, it's because they know I'm going to appreciate it. I want to be that person. I want to be the person where you put it up and I take a picture with the product and it's like, shout out to the plug. A a salute to the homie. Motherfucker, please. And plus, why would you send anything to me in order to influence something unless it's something that you know that only people that are really worth getting their eye or or their opinion really matters Oh, Dart said something about that. And here's the thing. All this fucking appreciation, all this uh, adulation, 
all this respect doesn't do shit for me financially. And does it all co- always come down to money? No, but it does because that's how I get to live. That's how I get to survive. That's how I get to continue doing what I'm doing, because the fact of the matter is nobody past a certain age in this space can afford to write. And if they can't afford to write, why would they fucking waste their money doing it? Now, something that you guys need to understand is labor, what labor entails. Now, sometimes if I'm on Twitter or something like that, somebody will ask me a question and some of these questions I don't answer. And the reason I don't answer these questions is because, well, to me, it's smacks of labor. And what does that mean? Here's the thing. What labor is to some people might not apply to someone else. Everybody has their own line. For instance, if you ask me, hey, Dart, uh, could you list your favorite fucking 15 Celtics, underrated Celtics of the past 30 seasons? I more than willingly answer that question because to me, that's not labor. That's something I'd love to answer. Hey, uh, what are some of your favorite animated films or slept on animated films? I'll willingly answer that question because to me, that doesn't fall under the guise of labor. Hey, Dart, um, could you recommend me some Netflix series that people been sleeping on? I'll willingly do that. I think about that all the time because that doesn't fall under the guise of labor to me. Or what are some graphic novels that you think should have been adapted into TV series or, or film? Shit, I wrote about that both on um, Poisonous Paragraphs and Bastard Swordsman. I'll send you a link. That doesn't fall under the guise of labor for me. These are things I'd willingly discuss anytime or use on Twitter. Hey, Dart, um, so could you give me your top 20 favorite rap albums of 2018? No, that falls under the guise of labor. I have to do actual work in order to figure that shit out. I have to stop what I'm doing and the flow of my day to figure that shit out. I have to do actual thinking to figure that shit out. I got to go through my iTunes. I got to go through all these other things to figure out all that stuff. And that's not something that I'd willingly just give up like in the flow of my fucking day. That's work. And if somebody asks me that, I'd prefer you pay me to do it. Fuck just asking me, hey, won't you send me that in a proposal and then send me half? Oh, this is another thing. I no longer have any fucking trust in humanity when it comes to this to this space in as far as journalism goes. Uh, I no longer want to. And I'm saying this shit for real. I'm not joking. I no longer want to write for anybody without getting paid half up front. For the reasons that I've mentioned already in this uh, podcast. And the thing is that this would be seen as um, weird to people or crazy. Motherfucker, if you work, if you're a performer, do you do a show without getting half up front? You get half up front and then you get half. Either when you get to the venue when you're on stage and your manager collects it or after the show. That's how it works. If you want to book a venue, 
I don't give a fuck if it's for a wedding or if it's for a, if there's a fucking VH, a VFW hall for a catered event or a celebration. What do you do? Don't you typically put down half on the venue to reserve it? Don't you? Is this not normal practice? Am I bugging? So if you want somebody to actually write a well-researched, written piece by a professional, then why the fuck is it crazy that they would want you to pay for half up front and then half on delivery when it's posted? Or maybe pay for half now and then half you could put on the um to fucking send to them later. Because I there's a lot of shit that people do using by faith. And I trust that you'll pay me on time. I don't trust anybody for shit. I don't trust anybody for shit. Matter of fact, I want if you really want me to do this, prove it. You know the best way to prove that you prove something with money. You know the best way to prove that you that you value somebody by fucking paying for their services. Why is it crazy to ask for people to fucking pay for a service that they want? There was a time years ago where um a guy came out, B Shine, uh, I think Brian. So the B Shine, he came out to Boston, Massachusetts, and he wanted to like interview a whole bunch of uh Boston producers and rappers and stuff like that. And we all went to the um the Boston Common and we all met. And he recorded us all. And I had, and when he, the camera came to me, he asked me a question and I responded that I wish journalism was illegal so people would pay us like they would a drug dealer. Because you can't bill a fucking drug dealer. You know, you want this fucking weed, you want this crack, you don't. You don't invoice that motherfucker and then pay and then you get paid. Then they get paid later. No, you want this shit. You want it now. Right. So you pay me for it now because you need it now. Right. So I was like, pay me like you would a fucking drug dealer. Pay me like you would somebody that does a service for you that you value enough that you want it now. Treat me like that. I'll gladly take that. Because I don't have to fucking wait. And I don't get exploited in the same way. Even though those people do still get exploited. It's still possible to get exploited. But. I'm saying. It's a different kind of exploitation. So being a creative. It's not fun. It's hard. Uh, just like being a, uh, an entrepreneur is. Entrepreneurship. Is something that a lot of people like to glamorize. Like I'm an entrepreneur because it's a big word and you see famous entrepreneurs and people that are doing well. But that's not every entrepreneur. A lot of entrepreneurs. Oh, and one of the things that they love in entrepreneurship, if you're on Twitter or Instagram and seeing entrepreneurs, you can suffer for this short amount of time until you make it big. But here's the thing. You have to fucking make it big because otherwise that expanded time of you eating noodles and eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, you can fucking die. Do they ever talk about the entrepreneurs or the fucking creatives that fucking die waiting to get paid? And does anybody ever talk about all the people who 
doing this thing where they don't sleep and they work and they work their fingers to the bone and they die at a young age trying to attain their dreams. All the people who didn't pay them. And maybe if they had fucking paid them or if other people in that space had valued what they did and maybe brought them on. What responsibility did they have in this whole thing and all these people dying off? Do, do we ever discuss that? I'll openly discuss it. I gladly discuss it because let me tell you, there's a lot of cash right now to have somebody who they haven't fucking paid yet. And there's not one person. This is fucking a gang of people. But this is just a matter of the industry because everybody is at the bottom. Not everybody has been paid yet to pay somebody. So that's the fucking that's the fucking the double edged sword. But there's also people that are making money hand over fist who haven't paid the people that got them their position. And this is a never-ending story. And then there's people that are struggling. And they're struggling. And they would love to pay the people that they work with. And they want nothing more to pay the people that they work with. And in a lot of cases, they're working their asses fucking nonstop. Fingers just to the bone working. So that one day they could get that windfall. So they could pay all the people they think they, they think deserve to be paid as well. But the majority of them are going to die before they ever get that paycheck or get that windfall or get that recognition and are actually able to do it. And some of us just want to be just fucking comfortable. Like me, I don't have a fucking um I don't have a uh a mortgage. I don't have any kids. I don't have health care. I don't have dental insurance. Matter of fact, right now, one of my teeth is split in half and has been since February. And why don't I get it fixed? Because the money that it cost to get that tooth fixed might fuck me up later on. I might need to hold on to that. That needs to be in my that money might need to be in my Bank of America thing to prevent in the case that some bill comes through and that $12 uh, maintenance fee comes through and I'm fucked possibly I'm saying possibly I'm not saying for sure I'm saying possibly I want to take the chance I'm not going to buy a certain pair of Adidas just in case some shit might happen and I might have an issue where I might need to pay somebody Hundreds of dollars for something. And I can't get around it. So what needs to happen is one of these fucking long blocks. Got to show the fuck up. Finally. And I'm somebody who works 24-7. Doesn't sleep. Busts my ass. And I go hunt. For what I. For what I eat. Non-stop. So it's not like I'm sitting on my ass. Praying to God something happens. I make shit happen. But. The money got to come, but I'm always working. So something's going to come, but something has to happen. So you got to keep your hands in 400 fucking pies. So when the shit starts coming in, it starts coming in all at once. And everybody's looking at you like, yo, you're doing it big. Yeah, but I almost fucking died as a result. Okay, so I don't. And the thing is that on the other side, there are people that are getting that money who are chasing who are chasing bigger things and they're going to fucking 
run themselves into the ground because they're chasing this fucking uh, non-existent unicorn. I'm just trying to live. I just I'm just trying to live. Okay, there are a lot of people that look up to me and the shit that I do. And I tell them immediately that, yo, this shit is work. Anybody I mentor, I tell them this shit is nonstop work. I don't give a fuck how many Twitter followers I have. I don't give a fuck about the blue check I get. None of that ensures that I get to live until next year. None of that shit financially benefits me. It doesn't. I have to work for everything that I get. And I sacrifice so that I can just exist and live until... Again, that long bar finally shows up in the next spot on Tetris. I get to shift that shit to the side. Hopefully I get more than one, more than one, and I get to clear everything. So I get to start over and I get to go to the next level and build it all up again. But again, a lot of motherfuckers die before they get there. And I know some of you out there are thinking that I'm being dramatic but I'm really not because a lot of my peers are no longer here. A lot of my peers didn't make it to 50. A lot of my peers didn't make it out of the 40s. A lot of my peers didn't make it to 35. I'm in the, I grew up in a neighborhood where when I run like over the holiday, I ran into a whole bunch of people in my neighborhood and we dapped each other up and hugged each other because we're still here. We're still alive. And a lot of us are still in this neighborhood, even though gentrification hasn't taken us the fuck out. And every time we see each other, it's great because we came up where we were on a bus with a gang of kids. And some of those, a lot of those kids ain't around no more. A lot of those kids didn't make it out of the 90s. A lot of them didn't make it out the zeros. I've met some kids that I went to elementary school with. And these motherfuckers got canes and diabetes and and other debilitating diseases and they're just in my age range a lot of motherfuckers died for various reasons whether it was violence or just serious health issues i just want to be around and anybody who says hey like you're a valuable asset and you keep the culture alive and this and this and this how about i get to live how about I get to live too? I'd like to see the culture live, but God damn it, can I live too? And this is what it's like being a creative. I am a creative. I live to create. I live to write. I love all forms of the arts. But the other side of it is my love of the arts is my addiction. I don't do drugs. I don't drink. I never have. I've, I'm not one of those people that felt a peer pressure. One of the reasons why as a kid I was such a good fighter is because motherfuckers would try to tell me to do. And this is another thing. If you ever follow me on Twitter and see I do what the fuck I want. This is me. Ask anybody who knows me. I do what the fuck I want. And I fiercely defend that. I don't like anybody to try to dictate anything to me. And it's also why my journalism career, and I'm using air quotes, has gone to shit. Because somebody will say, hey, Dart, would you do this? No. And they're like, but other people do it. I was like, fuck other people. I'm, I'm me. I've lost a lot of gigs because somebody 
asked me to do something, I was like, that's not what I do. Have you ever seen me do that before? And they're like, the audacity of you to demand something or tell me what you don't do, slave. You know, how dare you have fucking uh, integrity? How dare you think highly of what you do? How dare you know your worth? Oh, and also not knowing your worth is fucking it up for everybody else. All you creatives, all you people that uh, that consult for somebody or come up with ideas and do it for the cheap or do it for the low, you're fucking it up for everybody else because they expect everybody else to just put out their fucking life's work and give, give their life's blood and their IPs, that's intellectual property, up for next to nothing. You build off people who are creatives. You build off thinkers. You build off idea people. Those are the people that take you where you need to go. Rarely do I see the brown idea people at these places actually fucking thrive along with the company. A lot of times the company uses them up like old batteries and then tosses them the fuck out. And then they're left like, what am I supposed to do? And you're like, wait a second. They got all this stuff from that person. What are they doing? In rare cases, that person actually, you know, moves up and actually gets a position somewhere else. And we celebrate that person. But what about the fucking 35 that didn't get to do it? What about the 40 that didn't get to do it? What about the women that are being fucking used up and, and, and the men that are being used up and all these other spaces that don't get the same opportunities that one person did? What about them? So I just want everybody to think about that, ponder on that for a minute. And... Remember that with being a creative, there's more than one side. There's this thing that everybody posts up and they hold up like, oh, you're a creative. You do this. I do this. I do this. But what about the other side? Where you might not be around next year. Literally, figuratively, you might not be around next year. All right, so that's been 50 minutes. I don't want to fucking talk anymore. I'm sick of this shit. One.